0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline continues to remain your number one place for all your betting needs and sports info as we head into the heart of Major League Baseball season. Head to their website or use your mobile device to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using our promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is June 28th, 2022, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in, however and whenever you may be listening. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Dan Snyder and the Washington football team and do a large dissection of all the news that's happened in the last month around a congressional investigation with a lack of accounters of. Accountability for NFL ownership. I combined accountability and ownership into account a on that one. We have no account in the NFL. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to finally get around to playing our Major League Baseball crash course, which for those who may or may not remember at the end of every football season on the Wednesday or Tuesday afterwards, we do an NBA crash course for everyone who's been under a rock watching football. Let's do a version of that for baseball. Now that the Stanley cup final finished on Sunday or yeah, on Sunday and the avalanche won, uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I'll maybe find time to talk about that at some point during the week and, Uh, The Avalanche won the Stanley Cup, and the Warriors won the NBA Finals. So it's baseball for the next few months until, I I guess it'll be baseball until football training camp starts. But the good news is, our A-Block today revolves around the thing that will prevent us from watching shitty uh, regular season Major League Baseball. With now like four of the leading MVP candidates again getting hurt for the second year in a row. We have, on today's A-Block... NBA Free Agency 2022, or as we like to call it, Hot Anti-Vax Summer 2022. You may remember last year was Hot Vax Summer 2021. This is Hot Anti-Vax Summer 2022. The Kyrie Irving joke tells itself in Hot Anti-Vax Summer 2022, but also, you may or may not remember, Rudy Gobert was the person who touched all the microphones that made everyone start taking COVID a little seriously on March 11th, 2022. So, Rudy Gobert, available for trade. Kyrie Irving, available for trade. Hot Anti-Vax Summer 2022. It's also known as Hot Spider-Man Summer 2022, also known as Hot Lakers Summer 2022, also known as Hot... Wait, are the Washington Wizards really about to pay Bradley Beal $250 million? Didn't they already do this with John Wall? Summer. We got new developments on the Brooklyn Nets front, which is pretty much the first domino that's going to fall in this massive NBA free agency spike, other than P.J. Tucker signing with the Philadelphia 76ers as Daryl Morey gets the band back together and quietly trades Danny Green and a draft pick for DeAnthony Melton so he can get the cap space to go get P.J. Tucker and trade for eric gordon and yeah the 76ers can do their periphery moves but the big domino to fall in hot anti-vax summer 2022 is Kyrie irving and because we have new developments on Kyrie irving we're gonna play the last dance theme song that i took 10 minutes to make last week by taking the hour and 30 minute long to make packer's last dance theme song and just changing it in a very boring way here is your last dance theme song for the brooklyn nets Kyrie Irving is so disgruntled with the Brooklyn Nets that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between... The Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant. Is not good as far as this weekend, as far as training camp. We will see. There's been one message consistently coming out of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. There's camp. And, and that's, I don't want to be here. So I want to take you guys behind the scenes a little bit, show you how the sausage is made. And I know I say this sometimes. It's just a throwaway line to pivot to something else. But this time, we recorded 15 minutes worth of a podcast prior to checking my phone and seeing that Kyrie Irving is planning to opt out of his Brooklyn Nets deal and is only engaged with trying to get to the Los Angeles Lakers. And part of the last segment that we did involved this joke about we don't do fake trades as my version of a hot NBA summer or a hot anti-vax summer. We don't do fake trades anymore, and I would never spend time going to the NBA trade machine and concocting a deal in which Russell Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, a 2026 Lakers first-round pick, and three Lakers second-round picks go to the Orlando Magic in exchange for Terrence Ross, Markel Fultz, Kendrick Nunn, and the Lakers 2028 first going to Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving and Jonathan Isaac going to the Los Angeles Lakers. I would not spend such time concocting a deal like that where the Lakers give up all their draft picks. And like we talked about last week, if they can get Kyrie Irving, they're cool giving up the additional draft capital that it would require to dump Russell Westbrook's contract. And, After that segment finished, because it was based on the report from New York Daily News reporter Christian Winfield that Kyrie Irving has requested a trade, or sorry, requested and received permission from the Nets to find sign and trade offers from other teams. Kevin Durant still hasn't spoken to the Nets front office. Russell Westbrook to Brooklyn remains unlikely. That's from the New York Daily News. And that was the report that we were talking about. And what we started talking about was this idea of. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving being an experiment in Brooklyn and they were running the organization and they used their power of being bigger than the organization to run a basketball team for the past three years. And if not for Kevin Durant's foot, they maybe win a championship and all of that stuff with Brooklyn and now Brooklyn is and, and Kyrie Irving has the anti-vax situation and he disappears from the team for periods of time unannounced and all kinds of stuff around Kyrie Irving that ultimately the Brooklyn Nets come to the negotiating table and say nothing more than a two-year contract and and, and we're not giving you a full super max etc even though Kyrie Irving is eligible for it and Kyrie Irving Ultimately, his last his goal seems to be to get one last big payday. That seems to be the, the end goal for Kyrie Irving is power in an organization, one last big payday. And it looks like the Lakers are that team. We just didn't know that at the time that only the Lakers are pursuing Kyrie Irving and literally no other team is pursuing Kyrie Irving. And LeBron James and Kyrie have been in communication and and the illegal tampering period, which is legal because Kyrie Irving is technically under contract still. It's all super-duper fascinating how this is all unwinding. Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report dropped in the report, and he's become a a bigger NBA uh, newsbreaker and someone with connections and such. Jake Fisher dropped the report that Kyrie may even be willing to sign on the mid-level exception so that he can get $200-plus next year with the Lakers is that by taking a one-year risk on a six million dollar contract Kyrie Irving could then negotiate a full supermax deal with the Lakers and it would incentivize LeBron James to stay beyond 2023 which by the way if this shit comes full circle and LeBron leaves Kyrie Irving after the 2023 season ends right as Kyrie's about to sign a supermax Holy shit, the karma of that situation would just be impeccable. And so Kyrie Irving might be willing to do that. And we don't know what's going to happen. This, this podcast would be meaningless to speculate. By the time we're finished recording this, which is around 11, to, uh, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock West Coast time on Monday, by the time this has come around, there might be new reporting that we don't even know about. And we might have to delete this segment as well. But what's really fascinating about this is that only the, the Lakers are about to get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Whether it involves trading two first-round picks or whether it involves dumping Westbrook's contract, whatever it is. The Lakers were in hell, and they were going to keep Russell Westbrook and go to LeBron and be like, Westbrook's on the team next year, What you got? And apparently what LeBron's got is, you want Kyrie Irving? And the Lakers are like, Relative to Westbrook, yeah, we kind of want Kyrie Irving, and it might involve dumping a 2026 first, a 2028 first, a few third-round picks, dump Kendrick Nunn, which is easy, dump Talon Horton Tucker, which is easy, get rid of Westbrook, easy move, you just have to give up the draft capital to make it work. Like, the Lakers can dump all of this off of their backs and the Orlando Magic can use cap space to get draft picks which will help them later down the road and they trade all of their players that have meaningful contracts like Jonathan Isaac or like uh, Markel Fultz or Terrence Ross whatever you end up picking and choosing out of that trade like Orlando can dump all that money and the Lakers walk away With a situation that is is chaotic. Obviously, it's a team built on Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and I I guess it would be Carmelo Anthony and Kent Bazemore and and anyone else who they pick up with, uh, you know, the second Austin Reeves, AR15, which is the worst nickname and also the best nickname in the NBA, and the the Max Christie second round pick guy, and uh, you know whoever else, Stanley Johnson, and whoever they pick up from from the G League to fill their bench. Like maybe that's the formula that top heavy team. And by the way, top heavy team works out. Like I'm not like saying this is a negative thing. Top heavy team works out all the time. A team built around Kyrie, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, had it not been for watching the implosion of the Lakers last year, I would say that that team is immediately good enough to win the Western Conference. I don't know what version of LeBron James comes back from from three consecutive or three of the last four seasons. Ending in injury for LeBron James. I don't know what player Anthony Davis comes back to be. Um, Obviously Kyrie Irving sometimes doesn't show up to play and all that stuff like all that stuff is semantics and everyone's going to have an opinion and nobody actually knows what's going to happen and the people who do kind of know what's going to happen and know their shit won't get the same uh, platform or microphone. So all of that's uh, put aside it's amazing that LeBron James and the Lakers and Anthony Davis are going to get their get out of jail free card. And I marvelled at that last week. It's like there's no way Kyrie Irving's going to bail them out cuz if Kyrie Irving's willing to come and sign for 30 plus million dollars, well they can move Westbrook relatively easily. They can move those those contracts around if Kyrie comes with the discount of Six million dollars, and I don't know if I even want to like contemplate that scenario right now because it seems so outlandish. And and yet you know there's reporting behind it that it, it could happen, and all of this is smokescreen and all that stuff like this. Just the idea of regardless of how he gets there, whether it is the Lakers have to dump some draft picks, which okay, if you go all in on Kyrie Irving, so what? It's it's worth it to get out from under the Westbrook contract because at least you have a chance of competing for a championship and. If the Lakers get out from under that, and if the Lakers add Kyrie Irving to the team, regardless of whether Westbrook stays or not, it's so fascinating that they get continuously the get out of jail free card, whether it's Anthony Davis coming over in a trade and the Clippers um, f- flopping in the bubble, or whether it be um, Westbrook becoming, I mean, Westbrook trade happening, but then obviously now they don't want to attach the picks and everything unwound. Literally the most catastrophic season ever. And Kyrie Irving, who's still an incredible player, might get a give them a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's, it's impeccable. It's amazing, and I'm so fascinated by how those power dynamics unfold. Uh, just touching back on the point we had with Brooklyn, and this isn't a eulogy of Brooklyn because we don't know what's going to happen. From the Kevin Durant standpoint, Kevin Durant's kind of just sitting there and waiting to see what happens and what Brooklyn gets for Kyrie Irving. Because if Kyrie Irving leaves him and they get nothing in return for him, I don't see Kevin Durant staying. Because they could get, you know, the 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 fake trade idea that that I may or may not have spent 40 minutes putting together with graphics and everything. Like, they could get Terrence Ross, Markel Fultz, Kendrick Nunn, a 2028 first for Kyrie Irving, and it's still would not probably be enough to swing Kevin Durant in that direction unless he sits back and says, we'll give it one year, see what we can do, et cetera, et cetera. Like maybe he does that and gives, this is the scenario that I think, you know, it's speculation. I'm not a reporter or anything like that, but it's fun. It's hot anti-vax summer. Um, The thing that I find interesting with that is Kevin Durant could wait a year and give other teams a chance to free up cap space. Because trying to make this work within two weeks might be a bit forced. And maybe Kevin Durant looks at it like he doesn't have much time left in his career and trying to carry the the Ben Simmons slash Seth Curry slash Joe Harris version of the Nets isn't worth it. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. It, it's more semantics on that front. Like Kevin Durant, will I don't know Kevin Durant. I don't know what Kevin Durant values We'll figure out what what kind of player Kevin Durant is. And I I just find that interesting because Kevin Durant could look at it and say, wait a year and give someone else a chance, or we can condense this into two weeks, and we can figure out how to navigate to another team via sign-and-trade and and someone taking a bad contract, and maybe it becomes a bitter dispute with the Brooklyn Nets. Who knows what ends up happening with, with the Kevin Durant situation. It's just the The wheels are, are starting to turn, and Kyrie. I mean, technically, Bradley Beal is going to be the first domino to fall, but by virtue of him joining the Washington Wizards for two hundred fifty million dollars, it it basically puts him on a minor league basketball team, and he's he's not going to be relevant in the the macro level NBA conversation because the Wizards are probably going to keep missing the playoffs every year, and if they make the playoffs one year, you know, good on the Wizards, but. Kyrie Irving is going to be the first realistic domino to fall in this offseason, and Kevin Durant's probably going to be the last. And that's really interesting as this next two weeks become hot anti-vax summer, and we talk about NBA free agency like a classic sports radio type of show like we're doing here on on this segment of the show. As we do classic sports radio NBA free agency for the first time since... Well, since this podcast inception, back in the the first, the Kawhi Leonard summer of 2019, when every day we were talking about Kawhi Leonard and all that's, you know, all that went down with Kawhi Leonard in 2019. And I guess Vucevic was available, but he re-signed and Kyrie and KD joining Brooklyn and Uh, Jimmy Butler going to Miami you're going to have a free agency that feels and looks something like that because the last two years was pandemic Drew Holiday gets traded to the Bucks and then the next year it was DeRozan to the Bulls Kyle Lowry to the Heat for Goran Dragic and seven precious Achuas and I I feel like walking out of that it's Kyrie's going to be the first domino to switch this offseason Donovan Mitchell might be somewhere in between, although it seems less likely now, and Rudy Gobert might be the the piece that flips. Kevin Durant's going to be the domino that everyone's kind of holding out for, and I have no idea where Kevin Durant would even contemplate playing if he were to leave the Brooklyn Nets and that's why we have two weeks to do classic sports radio type of segments following NBA free agency speculations and all of the news and drama of NBA free agency and I know it's kind of the same thing we did in 2021 with the draft where we threw a lot of our investment of time and energy into talking about it But it's so easy and it's so fun and the power dynamics are shifting and we'll have 20 podcasts to talk about James Harden trades that in the grand scheme of things didn't actually matter because the last two years, the only all-star caliber players who have moved are DeRozan to a team that couldn't compete at the top 10 level of the NBA. I know the Bulls were number one seed in the East for a little bit, but it's DeRozan and it's James Harden twice and those were so interesting to talk about and so fascinating to watch those dynamics play out and now we get two three four versions of that in one summer it's it's very interesting following that weird you know as morgan called it the weirdest podcast we ever did talking about i wanted just something spicy to happen well we got spicy (laughs) even if it's the nets and lakers which is I guess spicy in terms of like the people who I don't listen to talking about it. Like your skip Bayless, Stephen, a Smith, ESPN, NBA media partners talking about Brooklyn and the Lakers and doing the judgment of Kyrie Irving and the judgment of Kevin Durant because they seek power and they do it in selfish ways. Like we can do that. The judgment of them. I don't know them. I don't know how it's going to play out. And if Kyrie wants to take the mid-level exception and try and get that supermax from Genie bus the next summer power to you, Kyrie. If you're doing the cold calculation of this is my last chance to get a big contract, and you know I'm going to try and amass power and wealth in my post-NBA career and be a, a business person and do all kinds of crazy stuff, like you know, power to you, Kyrie Irving. Power to you if that's the long play to get a big contract. It reminds me of what happened in baseball with Mookie Betts, where. Uh, Mookie Betts is talking about being like not happy with the Dodgers. We have exclusive reporting on this show from people close to the Mookie Betts and um, Dodgers camp that Mookie Betts wishes that he could be on the Red Sox and making the money that he's making on the Dodgers. He He took more money and went to a place that feels more mercenary style. Freddie Freeman did the same thing and everyone's a little bit less happy than they should be on the Dodgers or less happy than they used to be in other places. seems to be the calculation Kyrie's making is wealth versus happiness, power versus, you know, personal pleasure. And sometimes those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I know I put them as verses. Like, I don't know what Kyrie Irving values. They don't have to be mutually exclusive because I don't know Kyrie Irving. I'd really like to be friends with Kyrie Irving and I'd really like to be friends with Ben Simmons. I just find those two so fascinating as as characters. And I, I just think it would be interesting to see Kyrie Irving make that long play of like I'll take the, the the one year risk it deal it's like an NFL contract I'll take a one year risk it deal like I guess Mookie Betts did the same thing with arbitration one year risk it deal if we make it through this year and it doesn't totally implode I can get my one gigantic contract from the Lakers and maybe I'll get it anyways from the Lakers even if things implode because the Lakers just gave up a bunch of shit to acquire me. Or maybe he takes the one-year mid-level exception and Westbrook can come off the bench. How crazy would that be? Westbrook gets to come off the bench for the Lakers and Kyrie starts at point guard. Or you can put Westbrook, Kyrie, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and I don't know, like JaVale McGee on the court at the same time. It's, it's so interesting that all of this is a weird, giant super team possibility. And... Uh, Kyrie Irving is going to give the Lakers possibly a get out of jail free card. Again, regardless of whether he, um, regardless of whether Kyrie Irving goes to, uh, you know, requires them to trade Westbrook and two firsts and THT and whatever else, like if, if they make that trade or whether he takes the mid-level exception, it feels like if Brooklyn's cool with him pursuing trade partners and Kyrie's cool giving the Lakers a get-out-of-jail-free card. It feels like this is something that's inevitably headed towards coming true. It just feels like the the Lakers are getting bailed out in that situation, which sometimes fun to watch it burn, sometimes not. I guess the the Lakers are going to be fun next year to watch Kyrie, LeBron, and Anthony Davis play together. Oh, that team's going to be so fun even if they even if they aren't as good as Denver, even if they aren't as good as the Clippers, even if they aren't as good as Golden State or as good as those teams, it's going to be so much fun to watch it happen. It's going to be so much fun to watch it happen. And I guess I'm just assuming again, it's I'm not doing the full eulogy of what Brooklyn was yet, but it just feels like they're headed towards a place where if they're pursuing trades, If Kyrie's looking at all the different options to get to the Lakers, he's probably going to end up on the Lakers because Brooklyn wouldn't have let it got to this place if they weren't prepared to have him leave. And that is the hot anti-vax summer that is bringing all of the attention and all of the intrigue Back to the transaction, because if the NBA regular season is irrelevant, the one thing that can bring stakes and storylines is the transaction. We love ourselves a good transaction, not just in sports, but especially in professional basketball. Kyrie Irving Is so disgruntled with green The Brooklyn Nets. That he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there, and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant. ...is not good as far as this weekend, as far as training camp. We will see... There's been one message consistently coming out of... Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Camp. And, ...and that's, I don't want to be here. righty that was a bit of an aggressive sports radio type of segment. What I want to segue to here is talking for a little bit about Dan Snyder... And the Washington racial slurs and congressional investigation stuff that happened last week. And kind of just putting some details into context that I didn't really realize because I hadn't been following this story as intently as we did back in 2020 and 2021. The details were all out there. There wasn't a measure of accountability that was going to come. Maybe we had new massive bombshell reports that came out, although, you know, 60 plus testimonies and hundreds of other people filing complaints and all sorts of stuff over 10 plus years. Some Dan Snyder even being accused of a sexual harassment, sexual assault situation and paying money in 2009 for, for silence and all that stuff. Details are available. It's enough to warrant in any sort of publicly traded company, a CEO to be removed and corporate culture to change and dan snyder wants to own the washington football team and the only way that he can't own the washington racial slurs is 24 owners vote him out which it doesn't seem like is going to happen anytime soon shame or a good business deal those are the things that will push dan snyder out the door Um, if someone comes along with seven billion dollars cash i think the washington racial slurs might be sold Uh, In the meantime, Dan Snyder wants to keep owning the team and pass that along to his children. At least that's the intention. And the NFL, you know, as we talk all about Deshaun Watson and such, as a sports story of a generation, talking about this rich, powerful person and holding truth to power is something that, probably is more important in like the actually changing corporate cultures and impacting the lives of hundreds of people. It's not that Deshaun Watson hasn't impacted hundreds of lives with his sexually predatory behavior. The Dan Snyder one is just that Dan Snyder has more power and people with more power have the ability to impact more lives. And so I wanted to just touch on a couple of things that came out of this. And and most of you have probably heard the details because they're about a week old, is that There were new revelations that came out in court hearings talking about like Dan Snyder would do weird things like pouring sour milk into the Lerner family suite because they gave a bad business deal with the Washington Nationals and you know, details of yelling at employees and calling employees by slurs as nicknames and making people dance in front of team meetings and sort of boys club stuff like that. And then stuff that's truly damning, like uh, sexual harassment and assault in the workplace when a a team employee, I I believe it was the former COO who, or, or the second in command COO who was fired during that first wave of people getting fired and resigning with the team when the first Washington Post story came out of him just being like the boogeyman in, in in pursuing this female colleague and their solution was just to move their desks farther apart in the workplace and ultimately the woman left after the fact and it was all just gross and helped inform me about how these, these types of behaviors and the impacts that they truly have on women. Because this was back in 2020, I was like 18, 19 years old, not a lot of real life experience hearing these things. It really helped me process this type of information and and these outcomes. So I I passed that part along and all these details have been around for two plus years now. And Again, as we said earlier, 24 owners, shame, or a good business deal will be the thing that knocks Dan Snyder out. Dan Snyder and and Jason Wright and Ron Rivera all put out the, the statement that we are changing the corporate culture of the Washington football team. Starting in 2020, this isn't a problem anymore. This is the old way, which it's is a ass covering situation, even though it it defeats the point of, of changing the corporate culture is also accountability and all that stuff. So what this points me to in regards to each individual story that comes out from this congressional investigation is maybe just a little notch closer to 24 owners voting out Dan Snyder. We heard about a month ago that they were counting votes to see if they could remove Dan Snyder as an owner and it didn't look like they were going to get the votes yet obviously these are like billionaires notching business deals and maybe if the majority like a dean spanos or a mark davis um side with the powerful people who who move in the other direction maybe they'll fall in line and they'll be able to remove snyder and go through lawsuits and all kinds of stuff um but the investigation is just another notch, and it reminds me of the way that we talked about the Olympics, where I'm like, I already was on the fence about even watching any of the Olympics and hearing all the human rights stuff with China and, you know, the the U- the IOC president giving a very pro-Chinese propagandist opening speech and all that stuff. Um, it just kind of turned me away from watching the Olympics because I wasn't already interested in watching it, and that was, like, the tipping point of, like, morally standing of, like, I don't want to give NBC money and support that type of, um, you know, pure capitalism, commerce, and taking blood money from China and all that stuff. It's just kind of where I drew the line of like I didn't really want to watch it, anyways. NFL owners are like, some of us want him out, not enough of us want him out, but enough scandals and enough bad PR will maybe shift the power dynamics for the people at the top, and maybe people at the top is Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft. Uh, Stan Kroenke, whoever else has the most power among NFL owners, which those are just the first names that come to mind. And the ones that I think of that don't have power are the Bengals, the Chargers, the second generation schmucks from the 80s, Mark Davis, you know, whoever else you want to put in the mix there. Another thing that I learned from doing research around this, there is a second investigation that has been opened up by the NFL And they've promised to release the findings of this investigation. And the last one, which was done by Beth Wilkinson, was purposely not released to the public because the NFL made the stand of... We can make, we can do the investigation, we can protect Snyder in a way that we didn't protect Ezekiel Elliott or didn't protect uh, other people who have gone through investigations, and we release all the findings, and you can have at it with the players and all that stuff. We're going to protect Snyder, we're going to give him a $10 million fine, and that's going to be our measure of accountability he's going to go away for a year and tanya's going to run the team but now he's running the team again you know whatever else you want to do it and there's a promise to reveal the um, findings of this in part because you had after the congressional investigation the uh, new york times report last week that we now know washington had a conspiracy to pin the toxic culture on former team president bruce allen that they were going to smear Bruce Allen. They were going to point to Bruce Allen and be like, it's not Dan, it's Bruce. That's the person who you should point to. And this is their way of protecting. If, if it's not Dan Snyder's fault, their way of going is it's the guy who we fired in 2019 And now, ever since then, we've worked to change the corporate culture. We're different now. We got rid of the bad egg. And, you know, it's not Dan Snyder's fault. It's Bruce Allen's fault when most people aren't buying that story in the first place. It's just the the lie and the, the spinning of the narrative that Washington and the NFL have concocted to protect Dan Snyder. Why are they protecting Dan Snyder? Because they don't have 24 votes to vote him out. And Dan Snyder doesn't want to sell the Washington racial slurs. And so that's the story they're rolling with. They're going to pin it on Bruce Allen, um, which by the way, and they're going to, you know, try and, and pressure people to stop testifying and all that stuff. They're going to use their resources to pressure and, and pressure victims to not testify and do all that stuff. There are people showing up at people's houses, like Washington lawyers showing up at people's houses and threatening them, which was known last year. It's just like all being put into details, Um, This suggests that Washington probably had something to do with releasing all the John Gruden emails to the New York Times, which was something that was always a possibility. We're like, who stands to benefit from this situation? Well, clearly John Gruden doesn't benefit. Clearly the Raiders don't benefit. Mark Davis is still pissed at Washington and the NFL over it. Maybe the NFL stands to benefit from distracting from Washington, but the person who more stands to benefit is Washington. And if we now know that they have, you know, the game plan was to pin all of this on Bruce Allen and make Bruce Allen the pariah, and it's Bruce Allen's emails with John Gruden that get leaked to the New York Times, it doesn't take a step to think that Washington possibly sent those emails to the New York times or someone within the Washington organization sent that to the New York times or someone who's part of the investigation team with Beth Wilkinson sent those to the New York times or the NFL did it. That's an entirely possible situation as well. The NFL investigation with Beth Wilkinson possibly sent those to the New York times. We, we still don't know. It just doesn't take a, doesn't take a, a huge leap to start to conclude that that might've been part of the case. And so this was also when the Adam Schefter Mr. Editor thing was released and that was something that could smear Bruce Allen and Adam Schefter took an L on that one because the, the email just happened to get in the hands of the New York Times. Roger Goodell and Washington are framing this as Snyder has been accurately punished and the culture today doesn't reflect the culture... or The culture today doesn't reflect the culture yesterday. And uh, I, I know during the congressional... Um, investigation, Roger Goodell went on Zoom and answered those questions, which the the one Democratic senator, I can't remember her name, looked like a fool because she's like, Will you remove Dan Snyder? And he's like, I don't have the power to remove Dan Snyder. So we're gonna do Dan Snyder's bidding a little bit because the owners don't want to fire Dan Snyder. He didn't say that, but I'm just adding that part in at the end. And so this was interesting where Roger Goodell on behalf of the owners goes to defend their investigation. and there was a Republican there were two Republican senators who respond after the fact about it being a sham investigation and how these resources should be used to attack Joe Biden. And um, they, one of the pers- people said, if Mr. Goodell, uh, this is a direct quote, I, um, if Mr. Goodell says that Snyder was accurately investigated and reprimanded, why are we still investigating this? And it's the problem is Roger Goodell works for the NFL ownership, and that's the answer to the question that was more so as a rhetorical because no one could respond to it. Is that Roger Goodell works for NFL owners, and therefore Roger Goodell is not an unbiased party in handing out the punishment, and we don't get to see the details of the investigation that led to the ten million dollar suspension, so we don't know if that was too little, too much. It's hard to do it, do accountability when you don't know exactly what someone is being held accountable for. And so I think that's part of why there's now a second investigation being opened up by the NFL into the Washington football team with a promise to release findings, which I guess is, assumes that the first investigation didn't find everything, which is probably true. You only know what you know. It just feels like this is going to be a lesser report with less Concrete details that aren't replicated within the Beth Wilkinson piece, but maybe the congressional investigation helps us find more of the details to the Beth Wilkinson investigation, and that gets leaked to a reporter, and reporters can put that out and verify it and all that stuff. So, after the subpoena, or not the subpoena, after Roger Goodell went to testify, they tried to subpoena Dan Snyder and Ah, uh, Dan Snyder declined due to concerns about due process and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, his lawyers are circumventing this. And I, I don't know if Dan Snyder is going to appear on a Zoom call, but it, it, you know, it would the subpoena power only works so far, and he can use his Fifth Amendment rights and all sorts of stuff. But there are two points of contention with Goodell and Washington at this point in time that, uh, we don't know about after the punishment of $10 million and Tanya taking over. There's two points of contention. One is that nobody knows Dan Snyder's current involvement with the Washington football team today. And the NFL lying about why they didn't release the findings of the Beth Wilkinson report. These are the two things that are being pressed on, not just by like the NFL and reporters, but by Congress at this point is... Is Dan Snyder still running the Washington football team? And is this... Why, why are you lying about releasing the findings? This is where there's reason to be distrustful of the second NFL investigation, even if there is a promise from the NFL that these findings will be released publicly. It's assuming that new details that weren't in the Beth Wilkinson investigation will be brought to light through the second investigation. And... This investigation, by the way, was started by Washington in the aftermath of the 2009 Dan Snyder sexually harassing someone and then paying, uh, paying to uh, have a nondisclosure agreement with the woman. That's where that investigation started from. And the NFL then assumed taking over that investigation after the allegations uh, came up again. I think it was a second case, but I don't have the timeline exactly in front of me. The NFL took on that second investigation, and now they're running it. And they they are, I forgot the name of the attorney as well, who's going to be doing this case. But the point still stands is that there's going to be another year-long investigation. We don't know whether Snyder's running the team or not, or whether... While he's being investigated, he still needs to be away. Goodell was very ambiguous about that during the um, during the hearing. Goodell said during the NFL uh, during the NFL um, congressional hearing or during the congressional hearing into Washington that he testified at, Goodell said, under oath to my knowledge Dan Snyder is not running the Washington football team or the commanders or whatever it is. And Roger Goodell said prior that he is for certain not running it, that Tanya is showing up to the league meetings. And this was the case between 2020 and early 2021. And then there's some ambiguous details about how much Snyder is involved. And obviously his wife running the team doesn't mean that Dan Snyder isn't still controlling and dictating the culture of the Washington football team. Like, obviously that's not like, oh, this is such a big difference. All it means is that, Dan Snyder isn't showing up at the Washington office and Dan Snyder isn't showing up at league meetings on behalf of the Washington football team, it doesn't mean that Dan Snyder still can't influence decision making for like the macro level decisions for the team, like a stadium, like parking deals, like, um, you know, roster moves, like president and coach and all that stuff. It's not like he doesn't have influence there. What he has less influence on is the day to day culture of the team because he's not physically present in the office, and there's ambiguous details about him being physically present in the office during the last eight to nine months. So that's a point of contention, and Goodell's not being public about whether or not he's there or whether he's not there, and we can't talk to Snyder specifically because he can't get the subpoena of him under oath, and that's why Roger Goodell went to the congressional investigation. And the second point is it's abundantly clear the NFL is lying about why the beth wilkinson report wasn't released the, their their explanation was to protect the victims and their privacy which is the whole point of why jane does exist and why jim does exist in investigations is to protect the identity of people who don't want their identities available and this was very quickly dispelled by lawyers for the women who were part of who are victims of the the abusive culture and in some cases sexual harassment of the Washington football team including people who put their names forward in the Washington Post and people who didn't put their names forward in the Washington Post. They're like no the, the thing that brings more retribution is truth to power is making these things public and I was hoping that some it would get leaked to a reporter at some point and we could get the details and perhaps the NFL would investigate again. I'm sure the NFL has that on lock tight um, security of not letting people see the details of the investigation. And in the in the meantime, they're just trying to find some way. And this is where the lie starts to fall apart is there is no real justification for it. But the NFL is going to just stick to their guns, be in the wrong yet it's the best decision for them because they can't get dan snyder removed even if it makes no sense it's the best they can do while without removing dan without dan snyder leaving with with the best case scenario is dan snyder leaves if you can't get that then the nfl has to go to okay how do we navigate this will we investigate we punish we don't give people the details Sure, John Gruden's going to fall, and Adam Schefter's uh, journalistic credibility is going to take a massive hit. Altogether, you're going to have Dan Snyder get protected and skate, and there's going to be a little bit of consequence. Not enough consequence that can actually impact the 10-plus the years of tor- of torment and poor culture that were subjected to the Washington football team. There's no amount of accountability that can bring that to such a powerful person. It's just the best the NFL can do, and you need Congress, and you need journalists to try and hold some level of truth to power because the NFL is going to uh, let Dan Snyder escape because they've created an accountability system where if you're part of the NFL ownership club, we have created a system where you can escape without accountability. And obviously, there are a few exceptions. Jerry Richardson left quietly after a whole lot of gross me too stuff and, and sexually harassing and sexually assaulting people in the workplace and someone worth billions of dollars with women, 40 years younger than him and massages and all the, some of the same gross stuff we're talking about with Deshaun Watson, of pre- sexually predatory behavior. He went quietly. They took down the statue, all that stuff. And you got your end result that you were looking for with Dan Snyder. He doesn't want to leave quietly. The owners don't want to push him out yet, or three-fourths of the owners don't want to push him out yet. And so the NFL has to continue uh, pushing forward with uh, doing investigations and trying to find punishments and all sorts of stuff for Dan Snyder as a way to circumvent uh, actually creating the real meaningful change. And the two points that this falls apart where the NFL has lost all credibility around this point is... Lying about why they didn't release the findings and justification for the punishment and not knowing Snyder's involvement with the team while claiming that Dan Snyder no longer, you know, his wife is running the team, that she's present. He's not showing up at the office when there are pretty ambiguous reports about that, um, that at the very least he's been around the office and... Ah, uh, you know, Goodell switched to to my knowledge instead of the firm he's not around. But then he, under oath, he said to my knowledge, and this is where there's distrust for the NFL. So we'll see what ends up happening with these investigations. And, you know, maybe uh, if twenty four owners or shame or a good bu- business deal do force Dan Snyder out, the NFL no longer has the incentive to uh, not release the findings. and maybe more findings get released or they get leaked to the media or whatever it ends up being. Like maybe, You find more details that take out more people or, you know, hold truth to power with a lot of really, really powerful people in a corporation that's worth uh, 60, 75 billion, probably more than that. Now, if the Broncos sold for four point something billion, the NFL is probably worth 100 billion dollars as a corporation holding real truth to real power in a boys club, 100 million dollar organization that reflects um, conservative 0.01% values it's, holding real truth to real power is something that's kind of important around the NFL and uh, we'll see what Congress and what journalism can do uh, to hold the NFL and Dan Snyder because the NFL is just an accumulation of 32 owners who have hired Roger Goodell to be the person who's the the meat shield for them Roger Goodell is the person who takes the, the PR hits and such um, they are going to the NFL owners are going to uh, continue to have their lack, their uh, system where they can go without accountability, and Dan Snyder is going to continue to be a part of that group. And we'll see if independ- more independent than NFL investigations, like journalism, independent journalism and congressional investigations, uh, will hold some level of truth to power that maybe eventually lead to Dan Snyder getting twenty-four owners to vote him out, enough shame to leave, less likely or. A good business deal could get Dan Snyder to to leave Washington, which is ultimately a measure of accountability that, in any publicly traded company across the United States, would have led to a removal of a CEO. No, no ifs ands or buts. Any publicly traded company, these types of details come out, the CEO is not going to survive because shareholders are immediately going to vote this person out. So. Uh, Well, I guess I'd say 95%. 90 to 95%. I'll give myself leeway. Maybe if the guy brings so much money and they don't think they can replace them as CEO, maybe they don't. But other people have been voted out for significantly less. And in most publicly traded companies, the leader would be removed for such behavior. So we'll see if there's truth to power being held from the private $100 billion corporation of the NFL. So to close out today's podcast, let's have a major league baseball crash course. Halfway through the baseball season, almost, we need a a crash course to get it back involved. A little bit of a light turn after subpoenas and congressional investigations and uh, all sorts of gross accounts of Dan Snyder and toxic workplaces within the Washington football team. So let's have a baseball crash course to finish off the day. All right, nothing like a good old rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game on an Electric Guitar to kick off a podcast segment. That is a, not a sentence I thought I would be saying today, but here we are. Shout out to Tyler Bryant. He's a lead guitarist for a band. I forgot their name, but he's on YouTube. Google Tyler Bryant. Uh, he, he made that rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game on an electric guitar that I think we're going to use as our MLB anthem for 2022. Last year, we decided to use the banger of a San Diego Padre rap anthem from San Diego legend Rob Stone. Shout out to the 619. And I think that electric guitar version of take me out to the ball game is our winner for this year. So excited for that to be our anthem for baseball talk. I think electric guitar version of take me out to the ball game is going to be our winner for 2022 as our baseball anthem and the reason i introduced this baseball anthem is because every year after football season ends we get so consumed by football in december and january and february and you know with good reason football is king sport monopoly over america people like talking about it i'm not even sure if football is my favorite sport anymore it's it's very convoluted and complicated as i get older but football dominates the air in the sports media landscape in part because the only other sport really going on are basketball and hockey aside for like occasional events like a UFC fight or whatever else might be a niche sport mixed in there but for the most part it's pretty much football 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 for the first 4 months of the NBA season and by the time football season ends We do a crash course of what's happened in the NBA thus far this season. We basically do like, here's what you missed if you had your head under a rock and were consuming football for the last three months like most of us were. And I kind of wanted to do that for baseball, one, because it's fun to do those crash courses, and two, I feel like people really did get invested in basketball over the past two months during the playoffs, so maybe a baseball crash course will be very helpful to people, so... If you are tuning into this podcast for the majority of your baseball talk or you're listening to ESPN or you're listening to Fox Sports or you're listening to the Pat McAfee show or you're listening to the Levitard show or however else you consume this weird podcast universe or you're really deep in NBA Twitter and it's summer and you're looking for sports to watch instead of actually having a life. Here's what you missed in Major League Baseball. The last place we stopped with Major League Baseball was, hey, the lockout's over. Remember when we were talking about the lockout for like five months? Well, congratulations, lockout is over first week of the season began three weeks later and we were off and running so some things you might have missed in that lockout shortened season number one six teams make the playoffs in each league now i know that might be a little bit surprising it used to be five and they played a one game winner go home wild card now i believe it's a best of three series between the six and the three seed and the five and the four seed i might be wrong about that i'm almost certain that's the case But six teams make the playoff. It's important to remember that now. There is no more one-game wildcard. Capitalism added four more playoff games in each league. So we have new playoff formats in baseball. Cool. Okay, so next thing that we have also... The Dodgers, still really good at baseball. The only difference this year, the Dodgers are really good at baseball, but they're not having fun while being really good at baseball. Their pitching staff has been injured. Walker Bueller's kind of had a crappy season. Mookie Betts has talked about how, I mean, not publicly, but I have inside sources that confirm Mookie Betts kind of not happy with the Dodgers. I mean, it's not so unhappy that he wants to leave, but he's like, this just isn't fun the Dodgers are just a mercenary team but they're not really a team it's just a collection of mercenary people who are running around and people don't really like Justin Turner and Freddie Freeman's had his problems in Atlanta so I don't know what kind of locker room guy he is there but Dodgers simply aren't having fun not really a team but they have so much money and so many players that they're gonna win their division probably bending over backwards they still have the best run differential in all of base or in all of the national league second best in all of baseball we'll get to number one in a second but the Dodgers are really really good and they're kind of just going through the motions and they've bought themselves 100 wins the Padres half game behind them will the Padres fall in the standings absolutely the Padres will fall in the standings why because they're the fucking Padres and I've been living too long to believe that the San Diego Padres are going to be close to the Dodgers come the end of the season and by the way I said at the start of the year, just get me to the playoffs. If you just give me a memory like you gave me in 2020 when they hit back-to-back homers with Tatis, and they were pimping bat flips, and it was like 11-7 to 7 in a game-two win-or-go-home, and they end up beating the Cardinals and advancing in the playoffs, I'm good. Just give me that as a Padres fan. I am chillin' but the Padres are a half game out right now. It might be the best Padres team of my entire lifetime, and I've only watched like four games the entire season so far, although I did watch the game on Monday against Arizona, so I guess that makes it like five Padres games now throughout the season. San Francisco Giants, I went to watch them twice last week uh, in San Francisco against Kansas City. I've watched so much Kansas City Royals baseball because I work for a radio station that covers the athletics. So, the Athletics are playing the Royals in back-to-back weeks. Man, I have watched so much Royals baseball in the last week. Not necessarily, like, bad, but, like, it's Kansas City Royals baseball. And, oof, it's a lot of names that I remember but at least that's better than like Baltimore and Arizona where it's names that I just do not know at all but at least I know the names on the the Kansas City Royals they were all relevant baseball players four years ago so anyways San Francisco Giants a shell of the team that they used to be but still good enough to make the playoffs especially in the National League where like six of the teams are actively trying to tank next up New York Mets, they're actually pretty good, but they probably will fall in the, the, the they okay, I'm not going to say they'll probably fall in the division. They have the best record in the National League. They're the one seed. They're probably going to overcome Atlanta cuz Atlanta's got to figure some shit out. But New York Mets look really good despite the fact they haven't had starting pitching. If the Dodgers fall in the National League and and they have their problems and injuries and whatever else it is, I'm not saying the Mets can't make the World Series, but the Mets just might be able to make the World Series. And that's kind of weird to say because they're the New York Mets. But Steve Cohen has spent so much money that they're buying a number of regular season wins that will get them to the playoffs the same can't be said for the philadelphia phillies the philadelphia phillies they are back over 500 now so they've won like seven of their last 10 but the phillies fired joe girardi mid-season it was the first mid-season firing in like three years for major league baseball so joe girardi gone if you saw anything over the last six weeks in baseball it was probably that the manager of the angels joe madden famous for being manager of the 2016 world champion kurt breaking cubs got fired by the angels as well the angels used to have the best record in baseball now they only have a 25 percent chance of making the playoffs how did that happen 15 game losing streak regression to the mean baby baseball's the best at it of any of the sports which is why i think the mets will regress to the mean at some point but i could be wrong about the mets i haven't watched a single minute of mets baseball this year so i could totally be wrong about the new york mets uh miami marlins better than their record suggests washington Please trade Juan Soto at the deadline so we have three days' worth of content in July. Uh, Milwaukee and St. Louis are tied for the National League Central title. Everyone else in the division is absolute dog shit crap. You've heard us talk about the Cincinnati Reds on this podcast before. And uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are the same team they are every year. I, I keep making the same joke every single year, and it still applies. The St. Louis Cardinals are always a f- 85 win team on paper. If they play in a weak division, they might mess around and win the division with 92 wins. They'll be a 3 seed. Now the good news is the 3 seed doesn't get rewarded with having a first round bye so, or uh, I guess not having to play in the wild card. Now the 3 seed has to play in wild card weekend, which is good cuz it makes it Cardinals proof. They will probably lose their first playoff series. And the one time they do win a playoff series, like against the Atlanta Braves in 2019, they get swept out by the Washington Nationals and score one run in the final three games of the entire series. So St. Louis might win that division. Milwaukee might win that division. One of them will be the three seed. One of them will probably lose to each other in the 6-3 game. It's kind of weird how that one's going to work out, but there's a non-zero chance that one of them is the six seed. One of them's the three seed. They play each other in the playoffs, and the team that you don't expect to win will probably win. Anyways, so that's the National League playoffs at this point. Atlanta's the defending champions. No one believes in them, but they're still pretty good and just might fuck around and win the National League again. So now we move to the American League. The New York Yankees are really, really good. And every year I go into the American League and I say how is the American League going to shape out this year? How do I do the analysis on who the best teams in the American League are? And every single year, I come up with the same answer of, astros and yankees it's been the same case since 2017 during that year where like altuve won the mvp and judge was the runner-up mvp and they went seven games in the alcs and it's one of my favorite baseball series of all time and the astros win the world series and now infamous for cheating but i don't actually care if it's cheating or not and there's a whole labyrinth that we've been talking about for two years etc etc um during the covid 19 pandemic in 2020 We did an entire podcast titled The Yankees Are the Best Team in Baseball. They then lost the American League East and lost in the wild card. I guess it would have been the divisional round. They lost in the divisional round to the Tampa Bay Rays. Garrett Cole was pitching game five. They still lost, even though Cole only gave up like one run. And Mike Brasso hit a home run off Aroldis Chapman. So I'm not gonna do the same mistake this year of titling this podcast. The Yankees are the best team in baseball 2.0. Not gonna be as so dumb to do that. Wink, wink. Um, but the Yankees are 49 and 11, or 49 and 17. They have a 143 run differential. It is indisputable that the Yankees are, by record the best team in baseball. I'm not going to say the Yankees are the best team in baseball. That really burned me in the ass last time. And last year, the Yankees did indeed lose to the Boston Red Sox in the wildcard game. They are little brothers. Little brothers will find a way to mess this up. But the Yankees are really, really good at baseball. The Houston Astros are also really, really good at baseball. And that's kind of about it in the American League. It's probably going to be Yankees and Astros in the ALCS, and both of them are going to kind of dominate their way there. But it's going to be a hell of a matchup when they do play in the American League Championship Series, uh, unless the Yankees find a way to fuck it up, which the Yankees, they, they generally do find ways to fuck it up. So unless the Yankees do mess this thing up and they lose to like Tampa or some shit, it's going to be... Yankees one seed, Astros two seed, or Astros one seed, Yankees two seed in some combination like that they're both going to end up in the league championship series and they're probably the winner might actually just be the favorite to win the world series. The Yankees and the Astros are by far the two best teams in the American League. They're so much fun to watch even though I haven't watched v- well I've watched a little bit of Yankees baseball, but I haven't really watched any of Yankees or Astros baseball. Their teams are both built on offense and boom boom, which is fun to watch. I know it's it's you know a little oxymoronic when I say baseball is fun to watch. I totally understand when everyone tells me baseball is not fun to watch I totally understand it but you know who else is fun to watch the Toronto Blue Jays the Toronto Blue Jays are 10 games over 500 and they are 10 they are 11 games behind the New York Yankees they are they are having their best season to date and they are like probably the third best team in the American League and Toronto is 11 games behind the New York Yankees there's a bigger gap between toronto and the yankees and toronto is actually a really good team then the angels and houston and the angels are nine and a half games below 500 i'm sorry the angels are three games below 500 and nine and a half games behind the astros uh the detroit tigers who are 26 and 41 are the same distance away from the al central as toronto is to the yankees like, maybe the Yankees regress to the mean at some point. I don't think it's going to matter. How about this? The Pittsburgh Pirates are 26 and 39. They are 13 games below 500, and they are still closer to the, the Milwaukee Brewers in first place than they are to the New York Yankees or then Toronto is to the New York Yankees. Pittsburgh is closer to first place than Toronto is and Toronto is like 10 games over 500. Toronto has the third best record. Toronto has a better record than Minnesota. Toronto has a better record than Milwaukee right now. Toronto's 38 and 28 at the time of recording. Milwaukee's 38 and 30. Toronto is a game better than Milwaukee. And Toronto is further away from first place than pittsburgh at 13 games below 500 is to the new york yankees it's incredible how good the yankees are this year the yankees might be the one seed astros might be the the one seed it's all kind of semantics both of them are going to are going to be the two best teams in, in the american league just like they are every single year uh I just mentioned Toronto. They're really good, but they have to play in the wild card. Toronto is the Padres of of the uh, American League. They they're really, really good They just are going to have to do it in the wild card and that just kind of sucks. But hey, Toronto versus Boston will be a fun wild card matchup unless the uh, surprising upstart Cleveland Guardians, who were predicted to win like 68 games this year after dumping their entire team, Cleveland might find their way into the playoffs somehow, even though it's already bad enough that one American League Central team is guaranteed to make the playoffs and damned if we have to have two of them make it. Hopefully Cleveland just wins the division so we can get the shitty twins out of there but hopefully three teams uh hopefully all three wildcard teams come from the american league east it'd be cool to see toronto boston and tampa bay all make it into the playoffs and that's kind of the benefits of having the extra wildcard team is that all of those teams can kind of round robin play each other in the playoffs and you know tampa is the sixth seed will obliterate cleveland the three seed hopefully that's how that breaks down when we get to the playoffs this is, I actually haven't seen anything from Minnesota this year. Maybe Minnesota's fun. I know they have Carlos Correa. I, I genuinely don't know very much about them. I know Cleveland's just got the really good pitching staff and Jose Ramirez is is I think an MVP candidate this year. I'm not exactly 100% sure how that one. Let's see. Jose Oh yeah, Jose Ramirez is an MVP candidate. I knew I wasn't crazy. He's got an OPS over 1000 this year. Yeah, Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez is an MVP candidate, but I've been trained my entire life to believe that being an MVP candidate doesn't matter when it's Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Bryce Harper and the Phillies and Angels can't sniff the playoffs with gigantic payrolls, but Cleveland slashes the living shit out of their payroll, but because they have really good starters, all of a sudden Cleveland is able to is able to make it to the playoffs, even though they people thought they were gonna be like one of the worst teams in baseball this year, but they, and they have one of the lowest salaries in baseball because they traded all these starters who, who were going to have big contracts. But, you know, Miles Straw is pretty good and Fran Milreyes is, is pretty good, I guess. And, you know, obviously they've got all those great starters deep down the order, whether it's Tristan McKenzie or... Cy Young award winner Shane Bieber or Cal Quantrill or whoever else you want to pick and choose out of there they've got Zach Polisak is really good except not this year he's really bad but the <laughs> point still stands you know they've got some starting pitching in there as well so yeah Cleveland's pretty good but they're gonna lose in the wild card because they play in the American League Central and I still have argued for years similar to the Pac-12 the American League Central should simply disband as a division and each team should go to a different division you could send uh the uh, Cleveland Guardians over to the the AL West so that they can compete with Houston you can send uh, Minnesota to the NL Central you can send the White Sox to the the NL West you can send Detroit to the NL East you could send I guess Kansas City to the A- to the I guess you could send Kansas uh White Sox to the AL East Kansas City to the the nl west i guess i don't know we'll, we'll figure out the the math on that later to make it easy kansas city just go to the nl west so that kansas city can get free wins for the dodgers and potters and giants because um, Kansas City's never going to be good again. Kansas City's made two playoff appearances in like 40 years, and it ended with one game away from winning the World Series in Game 7 and then winning the World Series, and they have made the playoffs only twice in 40 years. But I am a Kansas City Royals expert now because I've watched like three Royals games in the past week for some godforsaken reason, because I worked a, I worked a, an A's game, and I'm working another one on Sunday with the Royals, and I watched two Royals games in San Francisco, last week while we were watching the NBA Finals live from San Francisco. So Kansas City Royals, what can I tell you? MJ Melendez, he's a platoon catcher DH. He's actually pretty good for Kansas City. Remember Michael A. Taylor? If you loved that World Series team in 2019 when we were first recording a podcast and waxing poetically about the Washington Nationals going from team that was terrible to drafting Harper and Strasburg to losing Harper and replacing him with Soto and a magical weird World Series team that upset the greatest Astros offense that has existed in all six years. Michael A. Taylor was the eight hitter on that World Series team. Apparently he's been sent to the purgatory of Kansas City for the last three years. Kind of a bitter way for that one to end for him going from World champion to three years of the team with the worst record in all of baseball, but... Hey, it sucks. I mean, congrats for the World Series championship. But Michael A. Taylor playing on the Royals. You know who else is still there? Whit Merrifield. I kind of knew Whit Merrifield was still there, but every year at the trade deadline, we have the same conversation. Is this the year Whit Merrifield gets traded? Every year, the answer is no. He made an all-star team last year. This year, he's got a below 600 OPS. So not great chance for Whit Merrifield to get traded this year. And they could have had dozens of, not dozens of prospects. They could have had two really good prospects for him uh, andrew benintendi probably gonna get traded at the deadline they had a pitcher named brian singer who i think i don't know if he was the one who had the no hitter someone had a no hitter going for a while in one of the games i watched but kansas city it's okay salvador perez not the greatest year in the world, but he's still an above average player. Have uh, no idea who their all star is going to be this year. Not a goddamn clue who's going to be an all star from the shitty Kansas City Royals. Anyways, that is our Major League Baseball update, our crash course for 2022. I hope you enjoy whatever summer is there, and by the time October rolls around, it'll be a very interesting baseball. Postseason, but I hope you enjoyed this Major League Baseball crash course for 2022.